Hello and welcome to Trending Pet Food, the industry podcast where we cover all the latest hot topics and trends in pet food. I'm your host and editor of Pet Food Industry Magazine, Lindsay Beaton, and for today's episode, we're going to do something we haven't done before, a follow-up. I'm here with David Allison, Global Values Leader, Human Behavior Expert, and founder of the Value Graphics Project. He was the keynote speaker at Pet Food Forum 2023, where he talked about what value graphics can tell you about your pet food consumers. And I also spoke with him prior to Forum in episode 31 of this podcast about the Value Graphics Project. Today, we're going to dive into some of the results of a pet industry-specific survey he presented at Pet Food Forum, and there will be a little action item at the end of our conversation, so make sure you stick around. Hi, David, and welcome back. Hi, thanks for having me back. It's so exciting to be here again. Now, I introduced David in episode 31, but in case you haven't tuned into that episode, which you definitely should, here are the highlights. He launched the Value Graphics Project to create the first accurate inventory of core human values for everyone on Earth. After 750,000 surveys in 152 languages, the project has resulted in a complete directory of human decision-making, allowing organizations to connect with people in new, more profound ways by honoring what they value. Now that David has presented his pet-specific research at Forum, I wanted to bring him back today to answer this question. How do we take this extra level of consumer insight and use it to best serve pet owners? And I want to begin our conversation by jumping off of something that you began your presentation at Pet Food Forum with. You pointed out that we all want some people to do something. And this is especially true when it comes to business. As an industry, we want people to buy food and treats and supplements for their pets. How do value graphics feed into that idea? It's a great question. And it's a fascinating and kind of unifying thing when you think about it, that everybody, no matter what you do, whether you're in the pet food industry or not, and even within the pet food industry, no matter what it is you're doing in the pet food industry, we're all just trying to get some people to say yes to something we want them to say yes to. So we're all in exactly the same business when you think about it from that macro level. And so getting people to say yes, getting people to make a decision you'd like them to make is about understanding how human brains make decisions. And there's been a bazillion smart, smart scientists around the world trying to figure this out for decades now. And they all fall under the umbrella of behavioral science, but you could talk to psychiatrists, psychologists, sociologists, neurologists, all these different people. And they would all, just between us, they probably fight like cats and dogs about most things, but they all do have one thing that they agree on, one big macro idea, which is that it's our values that drive every decision that we make. We don't have enough time to go into all those different fields of science, but maybe I'll just quickly recap neurology because it's one of my favorite ways of looking at this because it's about biology. This is about how our brains are wired. We don't really have any choice in this matter. So inside your prefrontal cortex is a little tiny piece called the insula, and the insula's only job is to filter all the incoming data, which for your brain is stuff like sights and sounds and smells and ideas and past experiences and everything it can get its hands on and say, okay, well, if that's the situation, we're going to behave this way. We're going to make this decision, not that decision. And your insula uses one set of filters to make those calls on your behalf, and that's your values. If something comes along that is aligned with your values, your insula will incent you to go get that thing. It'll say, listen, one of our values in my life, says the insula to itself, is family. And something's just come along that's really going to be great for family. So we need to go get that. And so it issues orders to the rest of your system and says, listen, go get that thing. 
And when you do, your incentive is I'm going to make you feel happy. I'm going to make you feel good. That's your incentive. That's a reward for going to get that thing, choosing that thing, making that decision. And if something comes along that might be bad for family, there's also a set of incentives, but those kick in right away. It's like, get that thing away from us. And until you do, you're going to feel anxious or afraid or upset. You're going to feel bad. I'm going to make you feel bad until you make that thing go away. And so in a very real way, no one listening today, no one on earth, no human has a choice. Our brains are hardwired to go after the stuff that we value and run away from anything that might harm what we value. And so that's just a biological truth. So value graphics, what we've done with all this research is we've profiled people from all around the world. And we've created an inventory that's more accurate than you need for a PhD, what everyone's values are, so that we can now use this as a set of insights to understand different groups of people and say, this group of people, they're running towards this thing. And they're running away from that thing. And now we don't have to think about them in the other ways that we have always thought about them in the past, which is based on ridiculous labels like gender and age and income and that kind of stuff. It sounds a lot like we're taking the human experience and trying to organize it a little bit in a way that everybody can look at the data and gain some insights into their selves, gain some insights into everybody around them. And then we can take that knowledge and use it to broaden our ability to interact with humanity, which is what business is after all. You are interacting with humanity in some very specific ways to achieve some very specific results. And one of the most interesting things about your presentation at Forum was that you identified five key values that seem to appear among pet food shoppers, and they appear among these pet owners in higher levels than in the general population. So there were three that were much more prominent in pet owners than there were in the general population. So I want to talk about those first. Those three were personal responsibility, trustworthiness, and experiences. Now, on a top level, all of these make quite a bit of sense, but I want to really dive into what that means for this particular population and what it can mean for people trying to market to this population. So how do these values play into understanding pet owners and how they operate? So if you take that and layer it back on the conversation we just had a moment ago about your insulin pet owners, more than the general population, are waking up every day trying to find anything that aligns with the importance they place on the value of personal responsibility, trustworthiness, and experiences. It's like their GPS system. You now got three points on their GPS system. You know what way they're going to swim towards. As a school of fish, they're all going to swim in a particular direction. If it's got some personal responsibility, trustworthiness, and experiences at the end of that path, the school of fish is going to turn in that direction. But like all things that have to do with human behavior, we're not that simple. Humans are fairly complex and hard to understand sometimes. And it's because our values mean different things to different people. It's not one of the values we're talking about today, but for just as an example, because I have the numbers in my head, belonging is another value that shows up in the 56 values that we've mapped for the world. In the United States of America, it's the number one most important value. And there's 912 kinds of belonging that we have codes for in the database. So when people talk about feeling belonging, there's all these different ways that it comes out and manifests in their life. So for each of these three values, we are talking about personal responsibility, trustworthiness, and experiences. There's a particular meaning in place for pet food shoppers. 
maybe that's a good place to start. So let's put two of them together, personal responsibility and trustworthiness. They kind of go hand in hand once you start looking at the meaning behind those two values. And you'll see why as I explain this. So personal responsibility, the kind of personal responsibility, the meaning for pet food shoppers, these are folks who are really, really interested in understanding everything about everything. They're research junkies. Personal responsibility is about wanting to be the person who makes stuff happen, who is the decider, who pushes the needle in the right direction. So they want to be personally responsible, but the way that manifests is reading as much as they possibly can, understanding as much as they can. I have friends who, when it's time to buy a car, it's a year-long process to buy a car because they have to study every car that's on the market before they're going to be willing to actually go, And which is so not me. I'm going to just like, oh, that's a nice one. That'll do for the next few years. Off we go. That's the car for me. These are research junkies, and they're looking at things from a very long-term perspective. So that's personal responsibility. The other value is trustworthiness. The kind of trustworthiness they're looking for is they want to be seen as problem solvers. So you can see why I've put these two together, right? They want to get their values in alignment around being trustworthy. They want to be the one who solves the problem, which sounds a lot to like personal responsibility to me. They want to be the one who moves the needle on the right direction. And to move the needle in the right direction, they're heavy-duty researchers. So if you put them together and kind of make this a little bit more colloquial, these pet parents, pet food shoppers, they're research junkies and they want to solve problems. So if we know that as a truth about pet food shoppers, what do we do with it? What are some of the things that the industry could start to focus on now that we know that? I mean, when I was speaking, the one that immediately came to mind is functional ingredients. I know it's been a huge focus in the pet food industry for a very long time, but this is the data proof that that's the right direction to go, to go deeper and bigger and broader. The more functional ingredients you can offer, the more it gives people the ability to know more stuff and feed that research need that they have and be the decider. My pet needs this. That functional ingredient is the one for me. It gives them a whole menu of buttons that they can push and decide which ones are the ones that my pet needs right now. What do you think is the line between insight and data? And what I mean by that is, so we know that functional ingredients, for example, are continuing to grow in the space. Pet owners are doing more research. They are becoming more and more interested in the health and wellness of their pets, in preventive maintenance, in acute maintenance, all of these things. We can see that from a data perspective. The functional ingredient trend is growing. It's building up in revenue and things like that. And then when you put this kind of insight alongside it, you understand why it's happening. Like you are able to get into consumers' brains and be like, okay, this is a thing that's happening. But really, why is it happening? Well, it's happening because of their desire for personal responsibility and their solutions focused. How often do values and actions merge together so cleanly? Or a lot of times, Mm. is it a lot more complex than that? It can be more complex, but you know, a lot of times what we end up discovering when we do this is why, as you've said so beautifully, why is stuff happening? Nobody in the pet food industry worth their salt is going to deny that functional ingredients is a big trend and has been and will continue to be. But now that we know why we can dive a little deeper in particular ways that will help with whatever objective you're trying to reach. 
I don't ever pretend to know the industries I'm speaking in as well as the people in the industry. So sometimes the stuff I suggest comes across as being perhaps a little bit not possible or a little bit blue sky thinking, but that's okay. Cause all I'm trying to do is get people to start using values as a way to figure stuff out. So take what I'm about to say and use it with your own lens and see, yeah, David, that's not going to work. But now you've been giving me an idea. This could work. So that's the goal here. Since we've got research junkies who want to solve problems, why not give them some sort of training? Why not make it possible for them to know more than the other pet food shoppers that they meet while they're out walking their dogs or even just going and hanging out at a dinner party and talking about what kind of cat food they're buying or whatever it is they might be doing? Why not give them a certificate program that they can sign up for? Learning on demand modules where they can understand what the scientists know who are creating those functional ingredients, why not have those scientists get on video and say, hey, we just added something or other, and here's why, and here's what led to it, and here's the research behind it, and here's why it's great, and here's how it's going to help your pet. That person is going to just eat that up. They're going to love knowing that level of detail because they're research junkies who are trying to solve problems and want to be the problem solver and the solution provider. So give that to them in a way that makes it fun and it's on brand and all those sorts of things. You know, one of the things I noticed about the pet food industry, so many brands that I looked at getting ready for this keynote are talking about these amazing leaps forward in nutritional science, but they don't ever really tell you much about it. It's just a one-liner on the homepage of the website, or it's a one-liner on the front of the product on a shelf. There's no detail. And I think maybe there's this assumption that, yeah, we got the smart scientists thinking about all that stuff. You guys don't need to worry yourselves, but they want to, <laughs> they want to be worried about that. Make the scientists into the heroes, pull that stuff up to the front of the website. Don't bury it. You've spent a lot of time and money and smart, smart people figuring this stuff out. Share it. They'll lap it up. They really, really are interested in these things. It makes them the decider that they want to be. This might be going off into the weeds a little bit, but because we're merging personal values and business, I feel that it's an important thing to address. How do you take insights like this and apply them to your business without coming off as being disingenuous or being manipulative? Because one of the other hallmarks of pet owners these days, and I think consumers in general, is that we're becoming more savvy to BS, basically. Yeah. If a company is talking the talk, but not walking the walk. It's really easy to find out. It's really easy to spot and people are not having it anymore. They're calling people out. So when you're talking about gaining insights into people at this level, how do you apply that without coming across as being the bad guy? Like, how dare you get in my mm. head to try to manipulate me? You know, yeah. how do you stay on the right side of being a trustworthy business? And then, you know, one of the other things we're going to be talking about in a minute is loyalty and how much stock pet owners put in that value as well. So how do you not lose them? I think what you have to do is come at this in a very open and honest and transparent way. Here's the thing. You're going to sit down somewhere, some group of people inside every pet food company in the world and make some decisions about what you're going to talk about and what you're going to do. Isn't it more authentic and transparent to just focus on the stuff that you know people really care about? I mean, you don't have to call it out and say, we're doing this because we had some inside information on what makes your brains work. But to just sit back and say, well, how else would we make a decision? You know how else you'd probably make a decision is based on demographics. 
you probably say to yourself, well, our pet food shoppers are between this age and this age, and they make this much money and they live in this part of the world. And therefore, we're going to use some big giant stereotypes and try and figure out what these people will like. Instead, why not just know what they care about and use that as a filtering mechanism to figure out how to drive the ship? I mean, I made a brief reference a moment ago to a school of fish, but it's very much that what we're providing here and what we've figured out for pet food shoppers is this school of fish is going to twist and turn in the ocean as it swims around. And if you know what they're twisting and turning for, why they're going to go in one direction versus another, and you can give them that and be the thing they swim towards, isn't that a more human and honest thing to do than just make stuff up and hope it sticks? Which is kind of what we're all doing right now. We all just sit around and say, my target audience is 73% female. Cool. So what are you going to do with that? You're going to make everything pink? You just make stuff up. Oh, it's all Gen Z. And, you know, Gen Zs, they all like fill in the blank with a ridiculous idea here because they don't. All Gen Z do not like anything. That's <laughs> impossible. There's tens of millions of them in the United States alone. And you're trying to tell me they're all going to respond in the same way. Of course they're not. Anybody who's feeling like this might come across as slightly Machiavellian, it's not that at all. It's just saying, listen, as an organization, if you truly believe that you're here to make products that people want and they care about and they love, then why not find out what they want, care about, and love and give them that? Two of the other top values that you identified for pet food shoppers, I feel are a little more complex, loyalty and security. Now, I feel like those really get to the heart of a lot of humanity. They were top values for the general population overall, and they seem to be heightened in pet owners. What kind of insights do these two values give us when it comes to pet food shoppers? Okay, it's a good moment to pause and just refresh everyone's memory here that there's 56 values that could have shown up. And while some of these words seem like they're very broad, and of course, everybody wants to feel secure, not everybody values it enough as a value for it to show up in every profile. So words like loyalty and security, when you drill down and get into what they actually mean to this particular group of people, this is very precise to this audience. You may have suspected that these things were driving people anyway, and it may not be much of a light bulb moment for you, but the light bulb moment is for sure now with more accuracy than you need for a PhD from Harvard. These are the drivers of all the potential drivers. These are them. So let's dive into your question, loyalty and security. So loyalty for pet food shoppers, loyalty is one of those funny values. It, there's a couple of them we refer to as reciprocal values. And the thing about these reciprocal values like loyalty is you kind of got to be loyal first and then people will be loyal to you. So many companies do this backwards. Like you think about every airline out there, you show a lot of loyalty to them and then they'll put you in the little lounge and feed you pastries before your plate. If they really wanted loyalty to work, they would find a way to show loyalty to the consumer first and then watch the outpouring of loyalty that comes back to them. So the kind of loyalty that pet food shoppers are looking for is about existing relationships. It's not to brands. It's not to everybody. There's all kinds of different loyalty, hundreds of different versions of it. But the particular one for pet food shoppers, loyalty towards existing relationships. So hold that thought. Let's take a look at what that could mean in a pet food context. I thought an interesting thing would be to lean into regional, if not even local flavors. 
I'm loyal to where I live. I'm a proud citizen of the Pacific Northwest. I have loyalty to the places that I've chosen to call home. So that's an existing relationship I have. And so using that existing relationship and saying to people, that's great. We love that you love the Pacific Northwest. Here's some pet food that's inspired by all the amazing flavors and cuisines of the Pacific Northwest. That's going to give people that dose of loyalty that they're looking for around existing relationships. And you just think about the beautiful kinds of food that are available around the world. I mean, you just big ones like you can have a Southern comfort flavor, a Texas barbecue, a Creole flavor, all kinds of different things that you could do to help people find the food that best reflects their importance they place on that value of existing relationships. Does that kind of relationship loyalty extend to philanthropic efforts? Because that is something that I think probably a lot of industries are involved in. But for the pet industry, it's pretty much a slam dunk. Like if you want to gain the loyalty of your consumers, take care of the animals. Because we all love animals and we all want to help them. So can that be something that touches on the loyalty aspect? It occurs to me that there's a bunch of companies who've done this quite well. I'm not sure of any in the pet food industry specifically. Maybe there are some. And if there are, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to know about it. As a audience of people, pet food shoppers, pet parents, who, as you say, are very, very concerned with animals. We all love animals. We probably already have some way we're doing this in our life. We're probably already donating to a local animal shelter or a rescue operation or something. So instead of being the corporation who says, Every time you buy some of our pet food, we're going to make a donation to a place we like. Why not flip it around and let people be loyal to their existing relationships? Every time you buy something from us, we're going to make a donation to an organization that you like, one that you're already have that existing relationship to. Because now, not only is some money and some support going, it doesn't always have to be money, by the way, it could be other things, some support going to an organization that they have an existing relationship with, but they now get to be the people who are responsible for that personal responsibility. They just got to move that other value needle in the right direction as well. So you kind of get a twofer in that case. You're hitting some existing relationship loyalty and you're helping them feel like they're the ones who made something good happen for an organization that they already care about. I've seen this in limited ways, I think. I'll say the word that we're not supposed to say around retailers, but Amazon does some things where you can choose from a list of five or six different organizations how you would like some money to be donated. But why does it even have to be those five or six? Why can't it just be whoever you want? Just give us an address and maybe this is something we can only do with our VIP customers because it's just too unruly to think about doing it with everybody who ever buys one tin of dog food in a store. Maybe it's the ones who are signed up for our loyalty program. They're on our mailing list. They're part of our CRM system. And part of signing up to be part of our system is you tell us the information about an organization you'd like to support. And as your purchases are being tracked, we will make sure that the funds are going to those folks. Again, back to my disclaimer, it may be an unruly thing to actually execute on, but I hope it sparks some ideas from people who know more about the pet food industry than I do and makes them say, that's not going to work. But what we could do is this. So where does the idea of security come into play? What does that mean to pet owners? Yeah, security, again, we'll go into the meaning for particular for pet owners around the value of security. This is a kind of generalized meaning. It's all aspects of their life. 
They're not only concerned about being secure in one part of their life or another, or in one realm versus another. It's about emotional security. It's about security of my home. It's about physical security, everything. They just want everything to be secure. Another way to think about it is these are people who don't really like a lot of surprises. I just want to know everything's going to be okay. Everything is going to be okay. So I think it's a bit of a reframing for people in the pet food industry, that part of what you're contributing to for these folks is stability in their life. You're not really in the pet food business. You're in the life stability business. You're here to help them feel like their life is really, really stable. It's a great way to perhaps start thinking about brand extensions. What else beyond pet food can you offer to help them feel more stable in more parts of their life? Can you offer therapy sessions for people who are having a really hard time with a difficult new pet who's just not taken to the training and not doing things the way that they need to to kind of fit in with maybe other pets in the household? And can you give them a 1-800 number they can call and kind of find out what I can do to bring some stability back? Could you think about going into pharma? Could you think about going into the insurance business? What else can you do that offers people stability? They already trust you with the nutritional needs of their pet. So you got trust. So how else can you help them with other things that would leverage that trust and give them that security, that life stability that they're looking for? We're talking about a lot of big ideas, and I don't want to ignore my small to medium-sized business listeners who might not have the resources to do some of these huge things that we're talking about. But solutions don't always have to be huge. I know you work with a lot of different industries and there are a lot of companies who have adapted value graphics and made it part of their business strategy. Are there any particular successes you've seen that come on the smaller end of things? Mm, Yeah. You know what? This stuff works regardless of whether we're talking B2B or B2C, for example. So as one of the things I learned touring around the pet food forum was that there's a whole lot of companies who are selling to other companies inside this industry. So B2B or B2C, the size of the issue you're trying to solve for doesn't really matter. It can be a simple thing like, what should my email signature say? How do I answer the phone when somebody calls the customer service line? Who should I hire to interface with my retailers. Let's take it to every company on earth. I'm sure maybe there's a rare exception out there is trying to do something on social media these days. So what should you talk about? If you know, like, let's stick on security, for example, if you know that security and stability is something that people want to hear about, then what kind of stories have you got for them about what you're doing to make sure that your food is secure and that your ingredients are the best they can be and that there's never going to be any kind of issue around food security or ingredient stability or quality around your product? Could you have even email campaigns that you send out to people who are on your mailing list and just talk to them about some of these things about here's some more research on our new functional ingredient written up for you in a quick little paragraph. And maybe there's a video I can click on and listen to one of the scientists responsible, or it could even be a link out to someone else's information about that functional ingredient that is being distributed to many pet food manufacturers. But you're the one who's taken the time to send it out in your email newsletter to your subscribers. 
do the links for them and say, here's some more links that can help you understand what these ingredients that are in our pet food are all about. It doesn't have to be your original content. Be the curator. Help them find the stuff that they're looking for. Often when we're working with a company and we get to this point, the next step in our process is to take them through what we call a values thinking workshop, where we show them how to connect the dots from these values to whatever it is they're trying to solve. And in the course of that little workshop, we're never going to solve any of the really big problems. We have an example or two that we like to use to help people see how easy it is to use this stuff to solve any problem. And one of the examples that we use that I love is, okay, imagine you're bringing all your best customers together for an event of some sort. What would you tell the caterers to bring? Because it's fun and it's light and nobody thinks they're like solving the problems of the world or setting the organization on a different track. So what would you tell the caterers to bring if you know that personal responsibility, like we do, is a really big deal and that these folks are research junkies and they like to be the decision makers? You might say every ingredient needs to have a whole lot of information on the buffet that you're putting out there. They're going to want to know what this stuff is. And don't you dare make the food for them. Let them make the food. It's going to be an assembly. This is make your own pizza. You're going to be the personal responsible around here. And we've told you what all these ingredients are. And you get to be the personally responsible one. And the security value that we just finished talking about, that comes in because all the people visibly, you see that there's protection, there's sneeze guards in place and everybody's wearing rubber gloves and everybody's very, very secure. This food is all very secure and stable. There isn't going to be any surprises that come out of participating in our big lunch. Even something silly, like what do you tell the caterers to bring to a customer meal? What are you going to send out to people as a thank you gift? So let's say you have a VIP program. You've signed up some ambassadors. Those folks need to hear from you every now and then with a little, hey, thanks for being our, one of our ambassadors. Send them something that has something to do with some of these values. Even the tiniest little decisions. Because you know what? If you add up enough of those tiny little decisions, add one line of text to your packaging that rings a bell around a value. Tell one story in your social media in a more prominent way than you otherwise would. Sign off your emails in a way that's more aligned with values. Just add up enough of those tiny little changes. And what you end up with is a whole lot of values being used as a way to tell people that I got you. I know who you are. I know what you actually care about. And I'm doing my best to give that to you. I think that segues very nicely into the last thing I want to talk to you about. This is the second episode of the podcast you've been on. I listened to you at Pet Food Forum. One of the things that most speaks to me as a human being about this is that we've been talking about value graphics and their application to businesses and how to better understand your consumers. But what value graphics seems to come down to is just looking at people differently and understanding where they're coming from and meeting them where they're at, which is something we should be doing in a broader, more human sense that has nothing to do with business and everything to do with human relationships and how we can make sure we are treating people the proper way and living our best lives and helping everybody else live their best lives as well. So I want to talk a little bit about how the idea of value graphics, the ideas behind value graphics can help serve us, not in business, because we've already been talking about that, but overall in life. Like how can we as humans apply these lessons that you've learned in value graphics to just become better people? This is my favorite part of all of these conversations. This is where my heart starts to swell up a little bit. Because like you said, we've talked about how this can help with business. 
I'll drop a couple of stats here. It's eight times more effective to target a group of people based on their values compared to what we do now, which is demographics and a little bit of psychographic past sales information. It's an 8x to your budget, your effectiveness, whatever you're doing. People tell us they'll be willing to pay as much as 12% more for things that align with their values. So there's a real good reason to do this. They'll trust you as much as 20% more. They'll be more engaged with a community or a workplace as much as 40% more if they just feel like they're in alignment with their values. So there's all kinds of really good hardcore reasons to do this, all of which are eclipsed by the real reason, which you've alluded to, that we need to do this. And that's that the longer we keep using the old-fashioned ways of thinking about people, of labeling people based on age, gender, income, marital status, number of kids, all those labels we're all familiar with that we use in our boardrooms every single day, the more we're signaling to ourselves and the people around us that that's the correct way to think about people. And we're faced with a new group of people we're trying to understand, and suddenly we say to ourselves, well, they're female. They're 73% female. They make $100,000 a year. They have a college education. We just throw all those labels on them and we stand back and think we know who those people really are. And we don't. We only know what they are. And pretending that we know who they are as a result of those labels leads us to use stereotypes about them. Our audience is 73% women. Therefore, we got to do something with that. Let's make things pink. Let's choose cursive text. It sounds ridiculous to say that stuff, but you just take one step into the toy store and look at the pink toys and the blue toys, and you can see that it's happening all around us every single day. So it's ineffective, doesn't work for us for work. It's perpetuating stereotypes about who people are. And those stereotypes, those are the problem because they are fuel for the fires of racism and ageism and sexism and homophobia, and classism, and all these other things that were these social movements that we're grappling with, and, and I have to say, not so successfully in many parts of the world. And they're all there in part because we insist on looking at people with demographic goggles and saying, well, there's a whole lot of gay people over there, and we all know what gay people are like, so let's start treating them like a group of people that we all know what they're all about. And enacting laws and being discriminatory and doing all the things that we're going to do because, wow, those people, they're all like that. It's just not the case. So my hope is that by helping businesses make more money, because that's what businesses like to do, and by using data to get there, because let's face it, data is the love language of every business. That's how they want to talk to themselves and to each other, that perhaps we'll change the narrative around how we look at each other. If we can start looking at each other in a different way, if we just change the way we look at ourselves, change the way we look at other people, change the way we think about each other, we can, in a very real, concrete way, change the world. And I know that sounds like a big claim, and everybody's making it. You know, I'm pretty sure the potato chips I ate last night said, these potato chips will change the world. I mean this, though, in a much more realistic way. It won't happen overnight. It'll be incremental. But slowly but surely, if we all just give our heads a shake and think about each other based on what's on the inside instead of what's on the outside, we'll build a much less divisive, much better, much happier world. I think that is an excellent message. And it is my favorite part of this entire value graphics umbrella is that you started this because you wanted to understand people better and 
we can apply it to business, but business is made up of people as well. And so if you can internalize this from a business perspective, perhaps you can internalize it from a human perspective as well. And then everybody wins. Businesses win, consumers win, humans win. Absolutely. And if I can end with a request, there's something everybody listening today can do to help me out. If you use any of this information, if you use these values of personal responsibility, trustworthiness, experiences, loyalty, and security, if you use those in some way, even small ways, to change something, even a small thing about what you're doing, I'd love to know the story. Because as a speaker and a writer and a researcher, we throw this stuff out into the universe and say, here's some really cool, useful information. And we very rarely get the stories back about, oh, we did that thing and this happened and it was great. So if anyone has stories about how these values have actually helped them, I would be eternally grateful. And of course, would, uh, with your permission, end up sharing it all over the place. So there's something in it for you too. It would really help. It would really help a lot. And if people do want to share their stories with you, how might they do that? The easiest way is probably on LinkedIn. I'm pretty hard to miss. We're pretty active there. So if you just search for David Allison or Value Graphics, you'll find me. If you want to go to my website, there's, of course, buttons there you can push to allow you to send an email or other options like that. And it's valuegraphics.com. And my public speaking website is slightly different. It's davidallisoninc.com. So the research company is valuegraphics.com. My personal site for speaking and writing is davidallisoninc.com. All of them have contact us buttons that you can use. I'd love to hear from anyone who's got some story to tell. Perfect. That is it for this episode of Trending Pet Food. You can find us on petfoodindustry.com, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Instagram at Trending Pet Food Podcast. And if you want to chat or have any feedback, or if you have stories that you would like to tell and make sure we get to David, we can do that as well. I would love to hear from you. Feel free to drop me an email, podcast at petfoodindustry.com. Once again, I'm Lindsay Beaton, your host and editor of Pet Food Industry Magazine, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.